Hello, Line Podcast listeners. Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. We have the latest episode of the podcast ready for your listening pleasure. Katie Telfer, her testimony before Parliament, this time and that other time. We get into that. We talk about Minecraft, the latest threat to national security, why Matt refuses to be offended by anything in the pop culture, occult stuff, which is actually, don't worry, it makes way more sense when you actually hear the podcast, and a few other things, including why Pierre Polyev is going out of his way to make certain people angry, and it's probably working out for him just fine. All that and more on this, the latest episode of The Lines Experimental Podcast. Hello, Jen Gerson. Uh, here we are. Hello, Matt Gurney. Uh, an abbreviated week here. Uh, the long weekend on Monday threw me off all week. All week, I was like, what day is it? What day is it? But today, Friday, when we're recording this, was Telford Day. Uh, the Prime Telford Minister's Day. Chief of Staff testifying before Parliament on the uh, uh, China interference. I have not seen the coverage. You saw the coverage. Once I knew that you were watching the coverage, I felt better because I had to be in a meeting for an hour and a half this afternoon. So I'll just throw it to you. Uh, what happened today? Yeah, a whole lot of nothing. Essentially, this is what I found so bizarre about after after watching two hours of her testimony. Uh, I was just baffled that the that the uh, liberals spent so much capital and time filibustering and trying to avoid that testimony because essentially she came on. I mean, Telford's very smart. She's she's very capable. She's very capable of evading direct questions, and she was able to hide behind the fig leaf of well, I can't disclose that because it's um, cover. It's it's a national security issue. So, like, if you were looking for actual revelations on the China interference story, the only revelations are that came came from the omission from fairly tiny omissions and 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 exchanges about what wasn't said, um, which tells us a lot. So, one of the things that Telford consistently relied on was this idea that the original um, Sam Cooper Global story about Chinese interference was inaccurate, but then she wouldn't tell us what was inaccurate. And I'm like, okay, we're talking about, we're not denying that there was a CSIS briefing. Nobody seems to be denying that. But there seems to be some dispute about what was in that briefing. And um, finally, Luke Berthold, who's a conservative um, uh, CPC from from Quebec, started to list out, it with, like, was this inaccurate? Was this inaccurate? Was this inaccurate? And the only thing that I can really tell seems to be in serious dispute is whether or not 11 conservative um sorry 11 liberal mps received funding from china or whether or not what was actually in that briefing was something to the effect of china um is concerned about uh the connections that 11 mps have like it's not that those 11 mps are themselves or are, are, are themselves compromised but those 11 mp that there are 11 mps that might or might not have um, connections that is worrying to the, the intelligence service. That was what was in that actual intelligence briefing. The issue of funding or clandestine funding being being sent to these networks is a bit of a separate issue. So that seems to be where the initial questionable, the questions about the accuracy of the reporting come in. And, you know, I've said this before, you know, there's, there's just as part of the investigative process, yes, there are going to be mistakes that get made. That's that's normal because, you know, of course, you're trying to dig out secret information using anonymous sources and, you know, you're, you're doing the best you can. So it does not surprise me that there would be inaccuracies or mistakes, in some, especially in some of the early initial reporting. It's also very, very normal for the subject of those reports, reports to say, well, they got this wrong, so therefore the whole gist of the reporting is wrong, even when it's not. I mean, this is the um, she was 19 defense. 
<laughs> I will I will make no further comment on that. So um, that seems to be the issue, but but the general overall gist of the reporting doesn't seem to be in dispute. And yet we have Telford up there basically saying, well, I can't say uh, who got what briefing about what, when, because of national security, even though as far as I can tell, I mean, none of this should be considered a national security issue at this point anymore. I mean, with the exception of maybe sources or particular techniques, there's no reason for all of this not to essentially be public information at this point. So that's really my takeaway from all of this. It wasn't that Telford herself was a particularly interesting uh, bombshell. She was she was very clever, very evasive. Um, you know, she she managed to circumvent direct questions very effectively. Um, but my takeaway from all of this is what exactly are we covering under the rubric of national security that should more properly be considered um, national interest? Like, are we covering stuff that actually should be public, but we don't want public because it might be embarrassing to us? Or we don't want public because it might make things difficult for our diplomats to reestablish a relationship with China? That's not national security. <laughs> That's just national interest. There's a really important difference there. But I suspect what maybe is happening here is that the government and perhaps even intelligence services are falling back into this reflexive secrecy which makes them not want to disclose stuff, even when bluntly it's overwhelmingly within the public interest to disclose. It is overwhelmingly within the public interest to disclose now what global got right and what global got wrong. You know, like at this point, the jig is up. Yeah. <laughs> like it's been revealed. So if, if the global got something wrong, then come right out and be like, this is what they got right. This is what they got wrong. Let's move forward. Yeah, and the, and the, you know? the, the crazy thing about all of this is that... Um, liberals aplenty uh, are cheering on Han Dong and his lawsuit, which we've talked about in in previous dispatches we've done here. Telford could have given him a big boost today by being even the slightest bit specific about any of this. Yeah. What I want to ask you a question, and then I want to offer a kind of an off-axis uh, comment on this. How did the conservatives do in questioning? What was your impression of that? And I'm asking that for a very specific reason, but I want to, I don't want to tell you yet. So I'll just put the question to you. How were the conservatives on offense? Um, mixed. I would say Rachel Blaney was very good from the NDP. She started asking about, you know, uh, inquiry. Why not just go for an inquiry, get this all out into the air? Um, I thought that uh, Luke Berthold was very good because he started to actually thoroughly break down what the allegations were and ask Telford did you consider this inaccurate? Did you consider this inaccurate? Did you consider, he was trying to actually narrow things down. Um, I thought uh, Rachel Thomas um, wasn't so good at questioning, but near the end of the testimony, she had a really fiery three minute summation of everything that had happened at committee, which you could tell was done just for clips, but was very effectively done. And uh, clearly, you know, Telford was pissed and the liberal chair looked, you know, sick. So <laughs> I thought that was very effective. Um, but I mean, the problem with these sorts of committees is that nothing, I mean, we can talk about the the damage that allegations of foreign interference uh, have on our democracy. Personally, I think nothing is more damaging to my faith in democracy than watching House of, Com House of Commons committee meetings. And I'm quite serious about this, because bluntly, there is nothing that I find grosser than watching liberal MPs give handies to witnesses when they should be putting forward useful questions. And there's nothing more pointless about this whole exercise than watching opposition MPs 
you know, reduce what should be a productive and fruitful questioning to uh, a search for clips, right? And, yeah. and so much, so much, so much of this is, is it's impossible to watch these committee sessions and come away feeling like intelligent people are dealing with these issues in good faith. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't watch or be a part of a committee meeting and think that. Well, what, I mean, what's my, what's my meta theory, right? I mean, I've been telling you for a while, right, that we've memified our whole politics. So the entire process is skewed to serve up social media content and it forces people to act and behave in certain ways because they're not necessarily there for the answer. They're there for, to ask the sharply worded question, which will then be used in a thousand Facebook campaigns. Well, I know that, but the, the, then it leaves the public with no recourse than the public inquiry. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the problem is that if, if the system is working appropriately, even your liberal MPs aren't trained SEALs. They're trying to actually get to the bottom of an issue and understand it. So they're asking valid questions not you know prescripted nonsense that's just intent, intended to eat up time and 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 throw your te- your you know, you know witness a rope which is all that all they were good for there i mean literally you could you could turn off the screen the second any liberal started talking it was a waste of time um and in this that kind of a system you could have more faith that it that appropriate accountability measures were being put in place but when you watch liberals engage in this theater where they're not actually willing to question someone whom I think they perceive to be their boss, even though she's not, um, that undermines your faith that any kind of accountability is measure measures working within parliament. And that leaves you with only one recourse, and that is uh, independent investigation or independent inquiry that, 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 that supersedes the ordinary parliamentary processes. Yeah, but we won't get one because the only reason we got POEC was because the Emergencies Act specified it. Mm-hmm. So whatever we get will be whatever the liberals decide is the biggest bone they're willing to toss us here. I'm with you. It's it's depressing to watch this stuff. And I know it sounds like a broken record here, but everything you're describing, Jen, can be summed up in a short, pithy phrase. <laughs> Canada. Apparently it's wrong for us to use, apparently. I want to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry I didn't get to watch it today. It was um, a meeting that came up, and I, I just had to take it. And I was really curious to watch it because, in preparation for this, I went back and I watched some of the tel- uh, Telford testimony last time, and uh, and I also read uh, what had been written, including what I had written back last time. And everything everything you're describing to me checks out. Like it was what I was expecting if if I'd been able to watch it. You no, know, Telford's got a few IQ points ahead of anyone questioning her. That that's beyond dispute. When I was reviewing the testimony from last time and when I was reviewing what was written last time including what I wrote last time, I found myself getting pissed off again about last <laughs> time. So last time was when uh again, Global News uh mercedes stevenson and amanda Connolly, uh god bless him in particular had been publishing a series of devastating reports about uh the then chief of the defense staff the highest ranked military officer in canada general jonathan vance and uh i i won't belabor this with all the details but it, what it what happened what global alleged was that the general had been involved in a sexual relationship with a subordinate female officer which is bad but then also had applied inappropriate personal and possibly professional pressure. I wasn't clear on that 
to that that woman to shut her up because he was on the fast track to the big job and didn't need complications and this was obviously inappropriate ultimately it was found to be illegal he was criminally charged and he pled guilty so normally i would have to buttress this in all kinds of uh allegedly's and was reported this was a criminal matter and he pled guilty in court for this the reason this became a political issue is because the woman uh the the the, the young uh, the, the the female military officer had gone to the armed forces ombudsperson and basically filed a complaint because when you're in the military and you're and the boss is hitting on you or sleeping with you or applying inappropriate pressure it's not just like a, it's not just a workplace imbalance and that's bad enough the guy's in your chain of command he can order you to go jump on a grenade in theory like that like that doesn't come up a lot in in, in the canadian armed forces but so we have the ombudsperson who exists in part to give members who are lower ranked in the chain of command, lower ranked officers or, or service personnel who can go outside their chain of command to report misconduct, uh, criminal or, or professional. And what ended up happening is that the ombudsperson raised it with the Minister of National Defense. The Minister of National Defense kicked it over to PMO. PMO kicked it over to the Privy Council office and no one did anything about it. So the substance of the the real controversy there and tell me this does not sound familiar about how the pmo has been defending itself this time the substance was oh yeah we knew something was up but we didn't know the exact shape of it and and when i was reading the coverage from two years ago about this i was getting angry because you and i have said before that this all has echoes of snc lavalin right oh the story in the globe and mail is false Go reread some of the 2021 stories about the uh, General Vance stuff. Holy shit. You want to find echoes? So for one thing, as I described it in two, uh, 2021, there was a case of crippling incuriosity in the PMO, which is, oh, wow, terrible things are being alleged out of matters of national importance. No, we weren't briefed on that. No, we didn't really know anything about that. Like, it's it, it wasn't plausible then and it's not plausible now well the, the thing can i can i sort of preempt that with a potential defense of of the liberal government here let me let me just fin okay. finish the yeah, point finish first the thing. Yeah, I think yeah. this is this is germane to this in 2021 they lied and we know that they lied because global news got the documents so the whole defense of oh we knew there'd been an allegation but like we didn't know what it was global news got the uh, internal communications for P, uh, PMO and senior PCO staff, I think. And they were referring in their internal emails to sexual misconduct, uh, sexual harassment, I think is the term they were using, allegations. So the whole line of defense of, well, we knew there was something, but we didn't know what it was. They were sending emails back and forth about it. Maybe a decision was made by someone in PMO to isolate that information like it's plausible to me it did not go to the prime minister it should have but it's plausible to me that someone decided that the boss would be better off not knowing that i have a harder time believing that would be true of telford um and i, I want to let you take this over now because you said you wanted to make a defense here everything they say in 2023 to me has to be weighed in the balance with the fact that in 2021 they lied and the insane thing was in 2021, they continued lying about this, even after Global had already published the documents. 
So it was like, well, yeah, we know what Global says, but if we just say this often enough, people might believe it. Anything they well, have to say now, I just don't believe. To the, that point, Telford was emphatic and repeated this several times during her testimony, that she does not keep things from the prime minister. So this whole idea that she's going to throw herself as, uh, in front of the bus and understand information, but essentially refrain from reporting that information to the the, the PMO or the prime ministers as, as part of some kind of an ass-covering exercise. She said emphatically, no, I do not keep information from the prime minister. He gets everything. So read that into the Vance situation, what you will. The preemptive defense that I might be able to give the liberals here is that when a lot of the Chinese interference stuff was really heating up, we had COVID. It doesn't, and in a in a I'm sorry to say in an increasingly centralized party apparatus where essentially we know that there are huge bottlenecks for decision making, and that there are fewer and fewer people in the prime minister's office who are authorized to deal with essentially more and more things. Um, these, this is a this is a for for all of the criticisms that Harper got for centralizing his prime minister's office, we he, know that Trudeau is much worse. Trudeau is much worse to the extent that ministers can't make decisions. Ministerial responsibility has essentially crumbled. All the decisions get made by like four people in the prime minister's office, if that, and everything goes through Telford. Well, Almost everything goes through Telford. Yeah, we've talked about this. So, this is one of the reasons I think uh, they they have, I've noticed that they've always been on like a two week leg between reality right. and decision, yes. but it's getting worse. Yes, it's getting worse. Of them doing there's fewer of them tired. doing more and more thing and they're more and more tired. And you're, part of also the reason why the, the the whole government is becoming more and more blinkered and, and, and divisive and partisan is the result that they just haven't brought in new blood. Like there's no new staff and they don't, and there seems to be an almost paranoid um, vibe from Trudeau that he doesn't want to delegate to people he does hasn't known since college. He has trust you know, like this is, yeah, he's, he does he not trust, trust just... he has trust issues. He has major trust issues. And so as a result of that, there just aren't the staff on board to handle all the balls in the air. And I yeah. suspect what may have just happened is that, my, again, I, I hold to my suspicion that a lot of what happened here is turning a blind eye because there was an effort to try and rebuild the diplomatic relationship with China, followed by we have COVID. <laughs> we mm -hmm. have too much too much other shit in the air. They just kind of lost track of the ball here. And I, no, and I find all that plausible. I find that super plausible. I mean, that still leaves the issue of what happened in the Winnipeg lab very much outstanding for mm -hmm. me. I don't know if we'll ever get answers on that. But oh yeah, I mean, here's me, the thing. I don't. I don't think you need to go fully down the conspiracy rabbit hole to understand why the liberal. I think liberals just maybe screwed up because they got overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, you know? No, I mean, well, I mean, I'm I'm more cynical than you are when it comes. I mean, I I think I have no doubt these guys would lie through their teeth and never really even break a sweat about doing that because they've done it before. Mm -hmm. I these these guys they they lie and they lie through their teeth and they lie yeah. to the public whenever and they, they lie, lie about stuff that's verifiable. Yeah. That's yeah, no, that's exactly that's really it. Really so, wild. Like like the $6,000 a night hotel room stuff that came out last week I think it was. Like they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. No. Um, but in a, in a in a meta sense, I do think what you're saying uh, makes sense. I never, I, I, I think these guys are willing to do shitty things, but I don't think that's their default. But I do, th I, I think your explanation probably fits. I think, I think honestly, it does to an extent. And I, but one of the interesting things that one, one of my um, partisan conservative buddies said to me, 
He says, you have to understand that the, the, what's probably happening here is two different things at the same time. One of them is deliberate shittiness in pursuit of electoral gains. And then the other is genuine incompetence at responding to the problems that causes. And it might not be the same people. Like it might mm. be like one group of liberals basically being like, hey, fuck them. Like, let's let's be aggressive on this. We're... And then meanwhile, another group of liberals, when that like inevitably blows up, another group of liberals are echo chambery bunker mentality, exhausted bottlenecks in decision making. So on the outside, what can't be easily understood might actually be two different but separate government fuck ups unfolding at the same time. The other thing that has happening concurrent to all this, of course, is what's happening with the Trudeau Foundation. Trudeau Foundation board resigns en masse after announcing yeah. a, a big, um, uh, oh, hi, and after announcing a big uh, uh, investigation. Sweetheart, mommy's uh, talking on the phone right now. Can you give me a few more minutes to chat? I'll be right down. No. Can you go downstairs, please? Yes, you're very cute. She is very down cute. Elizabeth, downstairs, please. Yes, you can take that paper. Go downstairs. They always just need to get something. They need to win. So if she got your paper, yeah. she's winning. She's won. Um, the other thing, okay, so the, the show, then the Trudeau announces that they were going to request their, their this dodgy Chinese, um, uh, sorry, the Global Mail reported that the dodgy Chinese um, uh, donation, uh, donation yeah, it was unrefundable. was unrefundable because the whole thing was so untraceable. And then also accounting. there was- Yeah, there's no accounting there behind no it. No accounting behind it. And then to make things worse, there was like an, a request to change the name for the tax receipt. <laughs> like twice and they were like yeah sure we'll just put whatever name you want on that that's no problem and then the board amidst all of this resigns on mass because they're just like we have no trust in your ability to actually account for any of this stuff well, see the board was it was a mix of people who've come on since and people who were yeah. there before and all yeah. the newbies said fuck y'all they yeah, fuck y'all yeah so then um, and then of course you start adding to this okay so then uh uh there's a mass resignation then they asked the auditor general to audit their stuff, which is which is just really bizarre because and then and then we discover that oh it's because for some bizarre reason this charity is actually a federal institution yeah which i wonder well, if like i can the, ask the auditor general yeah. to come in and like take care of my taxes for me no but i mean like this so apparently this 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 charity this supposedly nonpartisan independent charity is also a government institution for reasons i don't understand the i don't I mean, understand we know, any we, of we know it was initially endowed under Chrétien, so it had With, its initial yeah. 120 million dollars from taxpayer funds but like what why is this charity like a federal like that doesn't okay and then of course then it comes out in the press that when the yeah, dodgy chinese that. donation came down that i think the director of the trudeau foundation was emailing uh, the prime minister's issues management director about it, which what? <laughs> like, we shouldn't? Are, aren't these supposed to be separate entities? Like, this shouldn't. What are you? What's happening here? Uh, it's, it's so weird and dodgy. Laurentian blob. Yeah, I know it's the Laurentian blob. The 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 separation between these things is not as good as it should be. And it was funny because um, the announcement of all the resignations was early Tuesday. So it was the, like the first fully back to work day after a long weekend. And like immediately it's a bunch of people heading to the escape pods. 
I didn't know what was coming, but I just laughed. I was like, oh, okay. So something's coming. Some reporter just sent a list of very specific questions and a whole bunch of people at the board just said, we're out. Like that's nope. like, we're Into gone. the sea. And then of course the, the logic comes out with another story about them today on Friday that says that they aren't even spending the amount that they need to be spending to register as a charity. What is this organization and why does it exist? We're wrenching elites. It's all, it's a social club. It's a, what the fuck? It's a federally endowed and capitalized and apparently supervised social club. Like for liberals, for shitting out liberals, I guess. I don't, huh? I'm just confused. I'm mostly just very confused by this thing's existence. I'm not going to lie. Should you do a Q&A next week with someone who could maybe explain this? Yes. That's a great Just like idea. straight up, what the fuck is this thing? What is this thing? Okay. Um, anything, anything else on, on this stuff? No, that's all I got. The only thing, the only thing I will add, and I, we don't need to belabor this because your kids look like they're about to start riding. Um, Pierre Polyev uh, had that letter this week to, to David Johnston. Did you mm-hmm. see that? Yeah. Yeah. This sort of snarky, snarky, terse and every like all, all the predictable uh, Twitterati are just completely outraged by this. I don't like Polyev's style. I don't like his tone. I, I have better manners. I am more waspy genteel than he often is, but I think what he's doing is working. Yep. I, I think he, I still think there is a, a, a significant segment of the Canadian think um, chattering class, at least, that cannot understand that what Donald Trump did in 2016 worked and that what Pierre Polyev is doing now might work. And before I get a bunch of outraged people saying, Gurney says Polyev is like Trump. No, he's not. They're very different guys. But the strategy of direct confrontation that you and I have written about before. And we wrote about this in the context of the media where the conservatives are going to pick fights with the media and the media is not going to understand it because they fundamentally don't realize how hated we are. Yep. And that's the missing piece. And they still think of themselves as such, such the heroes of their own Arbiters stories. of truth and fairness and, and balance. Yeah. That they don't you, understand that the public yeah. just fucking despises us. And then there's going to be. And also a, they don't understand that the public ought to despise us and ought to regard us with suspicion because that's just what it is. Yep. No, yeah, that's, I think that's bang on. And then I would add to that. Um, there is, uh, I, I think people are like, but how could anyone speak ill of David Johnston, says someone who has not taken the pulse of the Canadian public lately? Yeah. And it's nothing against David Johnston. I got nothing bad to say about David Johnston. But, like, it, I'm not shocked at the idea that some conservative strategist was like, Polyev versus white-haired, genteel, Laurentian academic might be a fight that we can that we can win who's, and also, who's also been connected to the trudeau foundation, no foundation. because of course he has so and 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 it's like a cottage neighbor to trudeau and their kids have spent time together <laughs> yeah and there's still so no many problem. people out there who don't understand why polyev is doing this and also don't understand why it can work i want to um i want to pivot uh for a minute here to uh, a story coming out of the United States. Um, we're talking about all the, these issues of national security and national interest here in this country. I know you've been following the story of this um, uh, intelligence leak in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get in all the details because I actually don't think that's the most interesting part. But basically, for, for any listener or viewer who hasn't been following this closely, um, over the last couple of months, we don't even know, I don't think we know yet when it started, but 
very, very sensitive, highly classified U.S. Uh, diplomatic intelligence and military documents have been popping up in different parts of the Internet. Eventually, it got noticed. And once it got noticed, people were able to look backward and go, holy shit, there's a lot of this stuff. This stuff is really bad for the United States. Uh, it, in, it is revealing candid assessments of the war in Ukraine, which are not flattering to Ukraine. It is revealing the fact that, you know, this shouldn't surprise anyone, but it always somehow does. The U.S. has been spying on some of its allies, keeping tabs of their internal politics. No shit. No shit. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, the U.S. is freaked out. uh, And rightly so. Like, this is bad. And there was this incredible story. And I don't know if you read it a few days ago. It was in the Washington Post. The Washington Post basically was almost able to crack the story by interviewing a kid didn't identify the kid had to get his parents permission to interview him but the story that the kid told which was then confirmed by another kid also not identified was that there was a group of nerds teenagers children minors who hung out on discord which is sort of a a social media app uh, for where you create private groups place my husband hangs out because he's a gaming nerd yeah and it's it's funny you mentioned that because these were video game nerds minecraft apparently which is a game my son loves and that i've played occasionally with him so i know i know a little bit about minecraft where they would basically hang out and they would talk about minecraft and they would also as teenagers do make terrible racist and anti-semitic jokes which is bad but anyone who's ever met a teenage boy is not shocked by that um, and then eventually, one of the members of the group, someone who is one of the older members and sort of apparently somebody of the group den father, I guess, began posting classified military documents into the group and saying, hey, guys, take a look at this. This is what's really happening in the world out there. Open your eyes. See what the government's really doing. In order to gain that- clout with the teenagers. Yeah, and that this went on and on and on for months. And then eventually someone else in the group shared, began sharing these documents outside. And then in the way of the internet, they got passed on. They got passed on. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then it took months for this to be noticed. But once it was noticed, they were everywhere. Uh, On Thursday, uh, a 21 year old member of the Air National Guard was arrested uh, and seems to fit exactly the profile of the individual who is uh, being referenced in this Washington Post report. I don't know if I have a conclusion. Like, I don't know if I have a thesis for any of this, but I was just fascinated reading this because, again, my son loves Minecraft. My son and his other eight-year-old buddies all play Minecraft. They hang out in in message groups together, which we, we as parents can monitor so we can see what they're doing. But they're exchanging strategies and t- tips. They're playing in online worlds together, Minecraft, Roblox, uh, things like that. And I'm just thinking, 10 years from now, one of these guys could suddenly just start dropping in classified information. It was just incredible to me to think that these eight-year-olds who hang out at my house and play road hockey in my driveway, this is this the next front in national security? It does. It makes sense, though. Because the misfit is a known problem for counterterrorism or counterorganized crime. Misfits are the guys who get radicalized by ISIS. Misfits are the guys who end up running drugs for gangs. 
good kids, smart kids from good families. And also, and good misfits often get recruited into the military to straighten up and fly right. Yeah. And yeah. So basically, yeah, the military, police services, terror groups, organized crime, they're all full of full of misfits. Kids who need something to belong to. Mm-hmm. And this guy had a Minecraft group, allegedly. And he also had access to top secret information. Again, I don't know if I have a thesis to wrap around this, but it's fascinating because to me, at least, it felt somewhat familiar. Hmm. It's just, okay, so the the under, the the newest front in national security, video game chat groups. Well, also, I mean, this is where a lot of groups are hanging out and radicalizing now. A lot of the extreme stuff is happening yep. on uh, video game chat groups. Yep. It is absolutely fascinating. It's so interesting. Um, you want to so talk about the CBC article? Uh, yeah, but I want to talk about another culture war issue first. All right, go for it. Yeah, and that is, I want to talk about Sam Smith. So if you are following the crazy social conservative uh, trenches of the culture war, which I frequently do, uh, you will notice that they are freaking out over Sam Smith, who was an artist who, a couple of years ago, he was a fairly well-dressed thin conservative conservative looking a person who would who would sing you know nice pop songs like he was good whatever he had some good good hits um and then he gained some weight and just came out as queerer than now and the music that he's producing now is things like unholy which has got a good beat um but his music videos are also very sexually overt there there are lots of sort of fetishistic um imagery and also a lot of satanic imagery um and of course, this interests me because I'm writing a book on the satanic panic, getting on writing that book, working on it. But anyway, um, and the the imagery is really interesting because it's it's almost like South Park level Satanism. Like it's it's a, a highly flamboyant, highly characterized. Um, like we're talking pitchforks and red and sparkles here. And this is actually part of a theme here is that uh, I think that also Little Naz did the same thing where there was a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a co-option of satanic imagery into particularly uh, gay music. I'm sure there's an academic thesis to be done about this because it's a very interesting phenomenon. But of course you have a lot of these SOCON pundits who take this at face value. And for them, this is hitting all of their buttons, which is also kind of the point of using satanic imagery, right? And they're like, look, these people are literal Satanists. They're trying to corrupt your children, and it's getting fed into this um, whole reactionary counter-narrative about the problems with grooming and and these gay people and these drag queens and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you will know that, uh, you know, I have have my own, should I say this, uh, concerns with certain, certain aspects of that, but there's yeah, i think the realm of sane concern about sexualizing of kids and the completely insane these people are literally worshiping satan and they're trying to groom your children on mass like you know what i mean like that's nuts and what i find so interesting is someone who's writing a book on the satanic panic is a the, the cyclical nature of the satanic panic like this stuff always seems to come back um also satanic imagery in popular music is really not new this absolutely hit its peak in the 70s and 80s when you had like ozzy osbourne and metallica and all of these um punk rock bands were overtly using satanic imagery as part of their craft as part of their art 
And what was so interesting about the stuff from the 80s is that there really was, there's actually a whole interesting book about this, there really was a mixture of people who were doing it seriously and were very interested in occultism and were actually, like, you could legitimately say worshipping Satan or or at the very least calling into d- demonic um, spiritual entities or thinking they were. And then there were the people who were probably just fakers. They were just using it for shock value, right? Like, they were just being provocateurs. And when you compare that whole era of satanic pop culture to what Sam Smith is putting out, Sam Smith seems so fluffy and goddamn tame. <laughs> you know, like like the old the old the old rock was was edgy and dangerous, and like it was it was meant to push the boundaries. Like they were they were out there. Yeah, it's like it could Sam- be a, if an occultist was in a transporter accident with a My Little Pony. Yes, that's exactly what Satan, what Sam Smith feels like. Yeah. It's it's like he's not a real Satanist. He's not a real occultist. He's he's engaging like little sparkly horns and a big sparkly stick, like you know, in order basically just to piss off the SoCons on the right. That's all he's doing. And 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 um, you know, part of what makes him threatening in any in any meaningful way, I guess, to these people is his use of. A, a queer imagery and queer music and 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 his upending of sexual boundaries but like what's interesting to me about all of this is that the satanic energy that is typically called upon is a subversive energy it's a, it's an energy that is that is or it's a it's a figure that is meant to subvert the natural order of things so when the 80 pop 80s pop rock people were using it it was a subversion of the established norm which was predominantly christian which was yeah. still fairly uptight you know to to engage in sex drugs and rock and roll was still a bit of a subversive thing i think what's different in in 2022 is that sex drugs and rock and roll aren't particularly subversive anymore right like for fuck's sakes we're decriminalizing drugs um and normalizing drug use uh sex is now and especially queer sex is now so normalized that there's nothing to it anymore so none of these energies are particularly subversive or revolutionary in fact the 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 revolutionary the counter-revolutionary is in fact the reactionary narrative it's the return to puritanism so the use of this satanic satanic imagery just loses all of its potency in 2023 and now it's just a big fluffy joke right you can't actually take this seriously and 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 this is what i find so fascinating about the revolutionary or sorry the reactionary forces the 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 more on the more socially conservative right-wing people is the fact that they're so locked into their own counter narrative that they're actually taking any of this at face value. And I just find that so interesting. Alice Cooper is apparently it. a great golfer. Yeah. Ozzy Osbourne. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Look, I, I don't. But, but, but it's interesting. David Bowie actually was an occultist and he actually des- described these sorts of mind bending rituals he used to do. And he actually went a little crazy as a result of it. You, you no, have a specific interest so... in the occult side of this. I don't, but mm-hmm. but what I can tell you is that the broader pattern fits purely on the sexuality side of it as well. Mm. Some friends of mine a few months ago uh, became quite scandalized by a recent uh, Sam Smith video, and I went and I watched it, having previously kind of heard his name. Like, I couldn't have told you a thing about him. Mm-hmm. And I went and I watched the video, and it was overtly sexual. Um, yes. um, uh, gay or 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 trans as well. So it's it's like it was very in your face, literally in a couple of scenes. Um, with its sexuality, but I just kind of looked at it and I'm like, yeah, but like 70 years ago, like Elvis gyrating his hips scandalized people. I'm old Wet enough. Ass pussy scandalized people. Yeah, Cardi uh, B scandalized people. Like Madonna in the 80s. 
Like, and I remember that. Like, I remember being a little guy when that uh, book she had, I think just called Sex, was something that was like talked about for months on all the on all the news programs and talk shows. Because even as a kid, I was a nerd and I would watch those. And I've just kind of decided I'm never going to be one of the people who gives a shit about this. Because I think what these issues are, it's 5% on the puritanical fringe and 5% on the uh, cutting edge, artistic, pushing all the boundaries, fringes. And they're just, they're lofting mortar shells at each other. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us is 90% are just under the trajectory of all these mortars. Well, and isn't and, that just the culture war summed up in a, in a second? Yeah. yeah. And occasionally, because of who you and I are and because of you, what we do, occasionally we have to be culture war combatants but i don't I, like i never seek it out occasionally it comes for me someone will eventually uh someone will occasionally tell me that there, there's something i'm not allowed to talk about there's something i'm not allowed to have an opinion about that there's an issue where i don't have the standing to speak about it and i kind of go yeah okay well fuck you <laughs> hey i will assert my prerogative as a citizen in the liberal democracy to have opinions about stuff um but no, I, I try I, to avoid this, but no, I, no I, what you're describing on the occult side, it makes perfect sense to me because it's exactly what it is on the sex side. Yeah, and it has exactly. to get and more provocative all the time. It has to get more provocative all the time. Now, the other interesting thing in all of this is that I, you know, not to be on the side of the Puritans, but I do think there is an interesting question about A, to what extent children really ought to be exposed mm -hmm. to all this. I wouldn't be taking a young child to a Sam, Sam Smith show. I think that's a legitimate point. Um, but you know, there's another question, and this goes back to the, the column that you and I were talking about, about Milf Manor a little while ago, about like, okay, well, how low really is the culture going to go? How much further can we really push the band? Like, what's left? We we will, we will, we will find new horrible things. Every generation will be scandalized anew. I don't know what it's going to look I, like, but I'm not going to like, worry like, about it. Like, what, what, what is going to scandalize you in 40 years? I mean, just open incest? Like, is that the next spot? Like, I was so bored by all of this. Like, yeah, which is why I don't worry about it because I don't know what's going to scandalize me in 40 years, but I know something will. Hmm. And it, like, I, I've got, I've got things to worry about between now and then, but you and I have talked a, a little bit about this. If something like the metaverse really takes off there, like we will read, like we will invent entirely new forms of perversion. Well, this is this is the theme altered carbon did you ever see or read all the altered carbon series this was no. like what, what would happen if all of your consciousness and memories could be stored in a little crystal in the back of your head and your body was interchangeable oh, and the answer okay. and the answer was like your your whole concept of morality would would over time of your society would just collapse because the body would become so pointless and meaningless that the only value would be in your your mind your what, what you could store so did you, you ever know, read were, ready uh, player one no it's i would i would honestly recommend to you and any uh any of our our fans here ready player one the novel is worth it the movie was not hmm. um but ready player one the novel was interesting i read the sequel as well yeah it was it was okay but if, if you want to kind of get a peek into what social etiquette and concepts of morality look like when our lives are largely lived virtually it's it's interesting yeah. Anyway, I, I I'm not quite sure what, what I want to say there, and maybe it just might be like, um, let's go back to the '80s, people. Like, We're this is ready. we have I Ghostbusters know. movies. Oh, I know, I know. But I mean, but maybe, maybe maybe I mean, when it comes to the Sam Smith stuff, it just might be like this is this is the Satanic Panic, but like the goofy version. 
this is repeating history, but it's farce. Star Trek The Next Generation is back. Star Wars is back. Ghostbusters is back. Madonna's trying to be back. Fear oh, of nuclear Madonna, I'm actually scandalized by, but that's a whole other issue. Fear of nuclear annihilation is back. Inflation is back. Cold War tensions are back. The 80s are back. 80s are back, baby. Not not the... I mean, some of the good parts, because, hey, TNG and Ghostbusters, I'm all for it. Do you want to call it here, or do you want to talk about that CBC article? I think we should just call it here, because I think my food's arrived. Mm. What'd you, what'd you order? Sushi. Jamie, want, Jamie loves fish. Interesting. He's obsessed with sushi. We'll eat, like, 20 pieces. It's crazy. Uh, kind of the basic entry sushis. I can't. Yeah, he just likes no. It. It's like it's like salmon and uh, the rice, just the salmon. Wow. And and also the shrimp. He just he will eat twenty of those. It's crazy. My son does like shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but both my kids like shrimp, but fish. Well, they like salmon because everybody likes salmon. But sushi, no, not for them. Well, considering the only other food he likes are pizza and buttered bread, I will shove as much sushi down his throat as I possibly can. Well, I'm with you. Uh, wouldn't mind a little sushi myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's um, let's. You know, you go feed your family. I will go uh, get this podcast live, and then we'll we'll talk tomorrow about who's going to write what. All right, cool. All right, thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Bye. Well, we hope you enjoyed the latest episode. We hope you'll tune in next week. Same time, same channel, same Substack. We hope you had a great long weekend. We hope the weekend ahead is equally good for you. For Jen Gerson, it's Matt Gurney. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend.